Good evening and welcome to tonight's Bible study. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and clarity of speech yes, and the fullness and in the power of your spirit. Father, we submit ourselves to your word. We pray that let your word have your way in our lives. Let your way, let your word have his preeminence in our lives. Let your word change our minds tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Last week, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep from two accounts in Matthew chapter 18 and Luke 15. They had the same narration, but were based on different premises. That's why I keep on repeating, especially during this series, whenever you want to understand the parable, please find out whether it's in all the accounts. And when I'm talking about the accounts, I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, respectively. Because when you are able to read it from different accounts that it's recorded, you somehow get the fuller picture, which gives you a broader meaning. But sometimes if you are just going to narrate a parable just from only one account, it doesn't really do justice. Uh, in terms of rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. So Matthew's premise was on Jesus warning his disciples to be accommodating to little ones who are new in the faith. You know, this term little ones doesn't mean those who are immature or those who are new to the faith. Little ones is just a term of endearment. We are little ones. We are little ones not because we are immature. We are little ones because... We are, we are close to the Father's heart. So all of us are little ones. It's different from being a baby or a child in the faith. Amen. It's different from newborn babes. In First Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you grow thereby. Now, when Jesus is talking about little ones, he's not referring to newborn babes or your level of spiritual maturity. It's a term of endearment. I understand. So even if we are even growing in the things of God, we are still little ones in the sight of God. So Jesus says that if you cause them to be offended to leave the faith, it would have been better that you were not born. And last week we looked at Jesus' graphic description of that. He said, it's better that a millstone was hung around your neck and that you were cast into the depths of the sea than to be alive to offend little ones. Amen. And one interesting thing, Jesus says that the angels of God, they see the face of God on their faces. Every believer here, when the angel sees us, they don't see us. They see the face of God on us. So with that in mind, we, we should learn how to treat the body and design rightly. Amen. Jesus then talked of himself as the son of man in this parable who will go at great lengths to gain a backslider or to restore a backslider back to their first love. It brings him great joy to see one return to the kingdom. I think we read that scripture last week in Jeremiah chapter 3, which conveys God's heart, I am married to the backslider. And uh, when Jesus asked the Son of Man, going back for the lost sheep, paints a perfect picture of who God our Father is. 
Now, we, we went on to look at Luke's accounts in Luke chapter 15, and his premise was on Jesus fellowshipping with tax collectors and sinners. He was accused um, for eating with sinners, which caused Jesus to narrate the same parable to affirm his position, that he came for those who need repentance, that sinners than 99 just ones in need of no repentance. The truth of the matter is, even if you are the righteousness of God, you need to repent daily. Repentance means change your mind. Each and every day when we read the word of God, our minds are being changed and are being formed into the image of Christ. So we all need repentance. So Jesus was really lambasting the Pharisees for their self-righteous attitude. Amen. And we said it last week, the, the people that really oppose evangelism, that oppose outsiders coming to the church, are self-righteous people. Amen. So we shouldn't come to a place of self-righteousness and let church just be about ourselves. We should go outside, invite the outsiders to come in. They also need repentance. So from this story, we said that both the backslider and the sinner are lost sheep. And Jesus has a heart for them all in the kingdom. It's the will of God our Father that none will perish. Amen. So let's move on to today's parable, which will be our ninth parable under the kingdom is present with us. So after this, we will have two more parables and then we are done with part two. So like I said, under part two, we are doing a set of 11 parables. Amen. So I can even tell you, the 10th parable will be the Good Samaritan. The 11th parable will be the friend who asks. Amen. And, and I believe we will learn some great things from that. So today, let's look at our ninth parable. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. So after these two parables, we will... Q&A, but I know I've given a lot out there, so I will just give the opportunity for us to ask questions, anything concerning this teaching, anything concerning what you have read that you may need more light to do on. Amen. So 25th October, uh, a month from now, we will have Q&A because uh, for October 4th, I believe, yeah, October 4th, we will tackle the 10th parable and October 18th, we will tackle the last parable. And then we are done with part two. And then 25th, Q&A. So then November, we'll move on to a different series. Amen. We'll take a break from the parable, move on to a different series. And then when I resume again, I'm now going to begin part three. Amen. So like I said, the parables are divided into four parts. And under each part are sets of parables that we will learn. The kingdom takes root, the kingdom is present with us, the kingdom comes alive in us, and the kingdom transforms our world. So now we've done, the kingdom takes root in us, and under the kingdom takes root in us, we, we, we learned a set of nine parables. Now we are in, and under the kingdom is present with us, we will have a set of 11 parables then, and we take part three, we will do the kingdom comes alive in us. That also have a different set of parables. And then part four, the kingdom transforms our world. That also have a different set of parables. So just to give you the overview, 
Amen. So please go with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35 for today's lesson. And the parable in question here is the parable of the unforgiving servants. The parable of the unforgiving servants. I read. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. 26. The servants therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debts. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe, twenty-nine. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. <laughs> Verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you begged me. Should you also not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he pay all that was due to him. Verse 35. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Amen. Let's cut to the chase here on our heavenly father here. All right. So this is not what Jesus is saying. All right. So anytime you read the parables, Find what Jesus is not saying and find out what he is saying. It will help you to rightly divide the word of truth, especially when it comes to parables. I must admit, in my years of studying the Bible, my little years, I think one of the most difficult subjects I've come across has to do with parables. Amen. You, you have to really be careful, be led by the Spirit and all that, and don't even rush it. Now, three things I want us to learn here. Jesus is not saying God is merciless. Are you understanding me? So um, the reason why I'm saying that is because of verse 35. I want us to cut, the, cut to the chase on verse 35, and then we will jump into the beginning of the parable and then take it from there. Jesus is not saying God is merciless because the truth is God is merciful. And if someone is merciful, how, like God, how can merciful and mercilessness coexist? God is merciful. God is not merciless. So Jesus is not saying God is merciless. 
Number two, Jesus is not saying God is stingy with forgiveness. Because sometimes we like to interpret this as in God will forgive you if you forgive. That is stingy with forgiveness. And that's not God's nature. God is love. If you want to understand that God is love, read the whole book of 1 John. There are five chapters. God is love. The whole premise of the book of 1 John is to explain the nature of God. And the nature of God is love. The difference between us and God is God is love. We have love. God does not have love. He is love. Right? That's his nature. Love is not our nature. Love is a quality we possess because we are, we are, I, I don't even want to use the word new man. We are the new man. I understand me. All right. Jesus is also not saying God holds grudges. So that's not what Jesus is saying at all in this parable of the unforgiving servants because God doesn't hold a grudge. God, God doesn't hold grudges. All right. So three things that I want us to understand again. Jesus is not saying God is merciless. God is merciful. That's the truth of the matter. If you have come into a relationship with God and if you have served them for some time, I believe that all of us will have a personal testimony to be able to say God is merciful. God is, God is not a merciless God. So Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is also not saying God is stingy with forgiveness. Personally, I can't even relate to. God forgives. You know the amount of times I have heard and God has had to forgive me. I'm preaching not because all my ducks are in a row. I've dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's as far as working with God is concerned. No, very, very far from the truth. I'm very much a very imperfect person with so many, 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 many flaws. But the reason why I can stand here boldly to preach the word of God is because of his forgiveness. You understand me? So God, God forgives. He's not stingy with forgiveness. And God doesn't hold grudges. Can you imagine if God holds a grudge? None of us will be alive. God doesn't hold a grudge. If God held a grudge, he would have not sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us. So in contrast, this parable explains to us the rich mercies of God and how he forgives at will and liberally. I think that's the message that we have to get from this. Because I say this because of the gospel. What is the gospel? The basis or the centrality of the gospel hangs on Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. So please turn with me to Romans 1, verse 16 to 17. That is the basis, that is the centrality of the gospel. Sometimes we say, oh, I'm preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? Romans 1, verse 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Do you know why we are heirs of salvation? 
We are heirs of salvation because we have been justified. We have been declared righteous. And on what basis have we been declared righteous? It's because of forgiveness. So that is the centrality and that is the basis of the gospel. Gospel, gospel, gospel that we preach, it hangs on this basis that we have experienced the forgiveness of sins and therefore we can walk forgiven. That's why you and I can be, we can be declared righteous. And that is why it is not conceited if we say to ourselves that we are the righteousness of God because we can say that based on forgiveness. That's the gospel. Amen. So with that in mind now, let's look at this parable in question. It talks about a king or a master who wanted to settle accounts with his subjects. May I bring to your attention that the king is not God. Okay, so this is just narrating a story. He didn't uh, symbolize the king. The reason why I say that is because God doesn't settle accounts with us. If God was to settle accounts with us, who would qualify? Nobody. We didn't qualify in the first place. That is why he sent his son, Jesus. Thank God that he didn't have to settle an account with me. Because if God had to settle an account with me, I, I don't think I could foot the bill. I can't pay the debt. If God should have settled an account with you, I don't think you could have paid. So the king in this parable doesn't symbolize God because God doesn't settle an account with, quote-unquote, let me use the word, earthlings. He doesn't. Because if we were to settle an account with God, nobody could pay. Nobody. That's why he sent his son Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to just come and redeem us because we were beyond settling of accounts. We were too steep in our debts that there was no way we could count out. Anyway, now when the king reached out to one of his servants who owed 10,000 talents, the Bible said the servant wasn't able to pay. So the master commanded his family of his wife, children, to be sold together with all his possessions to make payments. So the king in this character, the, the, the character of the king in this parable is not God. That's not God. But what is God's will? He wills that nobody will perish. We just did that last week when we looked at the parable of the lordship. It's God's will. It's his heart. It's his desire that none of us will perish. The reason why the Bible lets us know that people will even count God as slow concerning his coming. And, and Peter lets us know that he's not slow concerning his coming, but he, 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 is, he has withheld the events so that nobody will perish, but all will come to the knowledge of Christ. Amen. So that is different from the father's desire. So this is just an earthly king. And in those days, that's what kings do. 
under that climate. If you old, they could sell your family, and when they sell your family, and when the amount doesn't suffice to what you owe, what you will now do is to be in servitude and you will work to pay off the remainder of the debt. So this is not a strange phenomenon. It's strange to us because we are not under that sort of system and that sort of governance. Amen. Then the servants fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. So uh, I believe Jesus, one of the things he did is that he just took something that happened in the ordinary, in their everyday life, to bring home a certain spiritual truth. So the master or the king was moved with compassion. That's a different kind of king. Because generally, kings are not really moved with compassion under that climate. And when what the king says, that is final. So this king had some sort of human heart. He was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. He wrote his debt off, 10,000 talents. Then the Bible lets us know that the servant went out and found out one of his fellow servants owed him 100 denarii. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat. So you can even look, look at a denarii and talents it's 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 very little okay so that was a very little amount he laid hands on him took him by the throats demanding payment the servants begged uh, but the, the guy didn't listen and he was just released of his debts but he couldn't extend the same grace to the one who owed him 100 denarii and threw him in prison so the debt was paid so the fellow servants went to tell the master or the king about this incident. And the master, as you can imagine, was very furious. He called forth for the wicked servants and chided him for his lack of mercy. And he said, you wicked servants, I forgive you all the debts because you begged me. Right? Couldn't you have also extended that grace that I just extended to you? So what did the master do? The master in his anger delivered the servants to the torturers that he should be in prison and be tortured until all his debt is paid. That's a very long, can, can you imagine? 10,000 talents, how he's going to pay, nobody knows. But Jesus ended the story with, so my heavenly father will also do to you. So we will come back to the study five again. But first, what made Jesus narrate the story? All right. I always say something. Whenever you read the Bible and you see the word therefore, it is not the start of a statement. You always have to go back to look at why therefore is there. Therefore means for this reason or on these grounds. So we have to find out why Jesus had to say this parable. There had to be a reason why he said the parable. And if you read further on, um, earlier on, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 18, after he has spoken of the parable of the Lordship, which we touched on last week, 
from verse 15, he talked about dealing with a sinning brother. So that's what made him talk about this parable. So he talked about forgiveness and all that stuff. All right. But for us to really get the picture, go with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 3 to 5. I won't read Matthew chapter 18, but I'll rather look at the Luke 17 version because it's the same. Because the Luke 17 is rather short, so I want to use that for the brevity of time. But if you go home, you could read Luke chapter 18 from verse 15 to 22. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 22. When you read it, you will get the full picture of why Jesus had to now narrate a parable on the forgiven, unforgiven servants. Amen. So Luke 17, verse 3 to 5. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And I love the apostles. Because if I was there, I would have said the same thing. Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Your faith needs to be increased to really walk in true and total forgiveness. Amen. Have you been offended before? Your faith needs to be increased. That's a very good prayer to pray. Amen. So Jesus was talking about a brother, or for that matter, a sister, who is against you. Jesus was against the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law believes in an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was practiced under the old covenant. But Jesus, who is the initiator of the new covenant, wanted them to learn a different way, which was called the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we don't practice an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or even pray David's prayers, Psalm 140, imprecatory prayers. Jesus is against that. Once upon a time, Jesus went somewhere to preach, and the Bible lets us know that they drove him out of the city. And the disciples were upset. They were like, let us behave like Elijah and call fire down from heaven. Jesus said, look, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. So Jesus, he didn't come to walk in the ways of David, Elijah, Moses, who believed in an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. And sometimes we use this to even preach messages to, to uh, sort of defend our stance why certain people, certain enemies should die. It is wrong. Especially based on the new covenant that we are under in. That's why it was good we did the parable of the uh, new wine, new, new wine, new wine skin. The Bible says that you can't put old wine into new wine skin. You can't put new wine into old wine skin, else it will best. We are under a different dispensation. We don't behave like that. When someone offends you, you don't call fire down from heaven. God says that vengeance is mine. I'll repay. Allow God for vengeance. 
your job is just to walk in total forgiveness. Amen. So Jesus was really against that system of when someone offends you, you have to reward them with judgments and punishments. And I can understand the disciples because they are Jewish people and they were used to practicing the law of Moses. This is a very strange doctrine and a strange phenomenon in their hearing. And like some of us, even though we are under the new covenant, this is even still a strange hearing. Because we want to see people die. We've touched the anointed of God. Amen. But Jesus was against that philosophy practiced. And Jesus now began to talk about how to reconcile relationships, especially when offense has been involved. And if you do remember, in Matthew chapter 18, we touched on that last week. We talked on a bit of offense. So Jesus was talking about when a brother offends you, there are certain steps that you need to take. So if you read Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, that is in more detail. And Jesus teaches on the restoration of relationships or reconciliation. So he, Jesus outlined them. He says, when a brother sins against you, there are five steps you need to take. When a brother sins against you, mind you, he didn't say that, wait for the brother to apologize. It's not talking about if you have sinned against the brother. When the brother has offended you, he is the fault. You might be the innocent party and he might be the guilty party. Jesus said, still go to him. Don't wait for him to shoot you a WhatsApp message and say that I'm sorry. Or don't wait for him to call you to say I'm sorry. Or don't wait for him to come to you. You go to him. That's the first step. So when you read Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, he says that go and tell his faults. That is try and solve it amicably. That is the first step. The second step is if you try it with him one-on-one -on -one and it doesn't work, take one or more people. It says one or two. So minimum, take at least one more person. Why? Because the Bible says that by the mouth of two or three, every word shall be established. So take one more person. If you take another person and he doesn't hear you, tell it to the church. So is he Jesus? Jesus is interested in restoration or reconciliation. That, the third thing is tell it to the church. That means the leaders, the pastors, whoever has done, tell it to somebody. And if he doesn't do it, if he still refuses to walk in forgiveness or let go of the grudge that has brought a wedge in the relationship, the Bible says that the fourth thing, treat him like a heathen or a tax collector. How do we treat a hidden or a tax collector? We read about that in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. To treat someone as a hidden or a tax collector means to love them. That's Luke chapter 15. 
Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. He was accommodating to them and he was welcoming to them. So when the Bible tells us to reconcile with someone, you've done a one-on-one, it didn't work. You took someone, one or two or more people, it didn't work. You told the church, it still didn't work. Treat him like a heathen or a tax collector. It simply means that just love him. That's all. And then the fifth, that what, what Jesus expects us to do is, Jesus expects us to walk in absolute forgiveness and love. But for reconciliation of relationships, it takes two parties. Forgiveness doesn't take two parties. Forgiveness can be one-sided. I can decide to forgive you. If you don't forgive me, that's entirely up to you. But on your part, you can't forget. But when it comes to reconciliation or the restoration of relationship, it's not one-sided. It takes two parties. So Jesus is, is saying that it is a must that we forgive. When it comes to reconciliation, there's nothing much you can do. It takes two parties. If the person doesn't want to reconcile with the relationship, love the person anyway. Treat him like a heathen or a tax collector. You don't discard a heathen. You don't discuss a, a, a tax collector in the spirit of Christ. In the spirit, if you have the spirit of Christ in you, you will accommodate such persons and you will love them. So that's what Jesus is saying. Amen. So this is the background upon which he narrates the parable of the unforgiving servants. Jesus expects every child of God or believer to walk in forgiveness no matter how hurt you are. Amen. I tell you, one of the things that will really stretch you, that you can really know that you are for real a Christian, is when it comes to the issue of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. If I'll be very honest to you, I haven't obeyed this scripture entirely. When I say I've not obeyed this scripture entirely, there are times I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just do it. A brother has said, yeah, I know, it's not my fault. I'll just do it. I'll, I'll just follow the steps. And there are times too, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm in my feelings. Yeah. God, it's hard. It's really tough. But the Lord doesn't want us to be in our feelings. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, not today. Uh, today I don't feel like, nah, you should come and apologize. That's it. I have, I have, I have taken certain, certain stances like that before. But the reason why I'm here is because God is merciful. Amen. I'm not, I'm not saying that so that we will exonerate our actions, but I'm just trying to be vulnerable that when it comes to obeying this scripture, it really shows your level of maturity with God or your growth in the Christian faith. Amen. So Jesus used this parable to talk about the snare of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is torturous to you. If you decide to walk in unforgiveness and grudge and in offense, you torture yourself. It is tantamount to you being delivered to the torturous. 
it keeps you in bondage and you will feel like you are in prison or you owe a debt. You know, one of the most constricting or constricting experiences is to be in prison or to be in debt. You don't, you don't feel a leeway. You don't feel free. That's how unforgiveness is like. It's a very big weight. So if we are Christians, we shouldn't walk in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness means you are enslaved. From this scripture passage we just read, you haven't experienced the best of total liberty and total freedom in Christ till you learn to walk in true forgiveness. Amen. So I'm sure that I might really be touching on some wounds and I'm sure some of us might not want to hear but whatever be the case, let God. Amen. Now, before narrating this parable, Jesus talked about what unresolved offense can do to our prayer lives. So let's read on from Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 to 20. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Now, this is in the context of reconciliation of relationships. All right. So if we don't learn to walk in forgiveness and believe in reconciliation and restoration of relationships, it affects our prayer lives. Unresolved offenses can really put a spanner in our works when it comes to our prayer life. This is the place where I always say, you rebuke, it doesn't buke. You don't have authority. So sometimes quit buying a lot of prayer books, going for prayer seminars. Just forgive. That's it. Forgive so that you can experience open heavens when you pray. So now for some of us, when we pray, we are not experiencing open heavens. The heavens are shut because of unresolved offenses. It says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth, it shall be loosed in heaven. And then when the two of you, the prayer of agreement, when you touch and agree concerning it, it shall be that. So if you meet a very prayerful brother and you are working in unresolved offense, and when you touch and agree and when you pray concerning it, don't be surprised if you don't experience answers to your prayer. Forgive. For many Christians, the reason why we are so frustrated in our prayer lives could be a hidden case of unforgiveness. It is not buying more prayer books. It is not attending more prayer seminars. Just forgive. Just forgive and so that the heavens can open and you can experience rain in your, in your moments of prayer with God. Amen. So now let's come back to verse 35 again. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So 
The question that we have to ask is, will God pay you back with your coin? Is that what Jesus is trying to narrate to us with this parable? God is not a tit for tat God. But this is what unforgiveness would rather do. Unforgiveness will give place to the devil in your life without God's protection. That's what it will do. So God will not deliver you to the torturous. But you, you allow the devil unfiltered access into your life without his protection because you don't forgive. Do we all understand? So a typical example of that is, let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32. To bring home this truth on this point I just said. So let me just read verses 25 to 31, and then we will touch on 32 later. Therefore, you see that word, therefore, so please, whenever you read the Bible and you see the word, the word therefore, normally my, 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 my book, I, I normally use book Bibles. When, when I'm preaching, I use software Bibles. When I'm using book Bibles, anywhere there is written therefore, I always circle it. That's just me. I, I just circle the therefore. That means for me to understand the scripture, I have to read backwards. Always, always read backwards. Amen. So what is the therefore? This epistle was written to the church to put on the new man. So this is a letter to Christians, not a letter to unbelievers, a letter to Christians. Paul is advising and admonishing the efficient church to put on the new man. You know, in chapters 1 to 3, he talks about the blessing of being in Christ. In chapters 4 to 6, he now talks about the vocation. You see, you know that you are blessed, then now you have to do certain practices that, that makes you stand out and make you know that you are a Christian. So he he, he implores to upon the efficient church that put on the new man which was created in righteousness and holiness by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind simply means to be renewed by the word of God. Allow, allow the forces of your mind to be to be under subjection to God's word. That is where true change and true transformation takes place. Amen. So now, on this ground, putting away line, verse 25, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27 nor give place to the devil. Who is Paul writing to? Is it unbelievers? He's writing to the church. Don't give the devil a place. Don't give the devil room. Don't give him briefing space. Don't give him landmass. Don't give him place. That's not a suggestion. This is a command. Okay? 28. Let him who still no longer steal, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, 
that he may have something to give them who has need. 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All right. So like I said, verse 27 tells us we shouldn't give place to the devil as Christians. So in these verses, certain things can do that. And there are nine things that are mentioned, if not taken care of, can give place to the devil. Lying. They spoke of lying. The devil is the father of all lies. You see, when you, when you lie and lie and lie and, and, and practice so much lie to the point that your conscience becomes dead. To the devil, it's like a shark that has seen blood in the water. You know, for, for shark to, you will never know that there is a shark in the sea or in the deep waters until there is blood. Blood is what attracts a shark to come out. That's when you will know. So, if, so normally, some of these um, aquamarine people, it's like if you want to know there is blood, there is a shark. Always put blood in the water. Some sort of blood, you you will know. That's that's one of the many tests they do. So, when the devil sees lies, especially in the life of a believer, oh, it attracts him to come. You give place to the devil by lies. The second thing is anger. Be angry and do not sin. So anger can. All of us get angry. angry. Anger is an emotion. And sometimes it is a necessary, I don't want to use the word evil. I don't want to use the word necessary evil. So, sometimes, let me use the word just necessary. Sometimes it is necessary to get angry, to effect change. Jesus was angry. His anger effected change. He had what we call righteous anger. But when we are angry, we should be careful that we don't sin. We are just one letter away from becoming dangerous. If you just need D, then anger it tends to danger. So we should be very careful because anger is like a landmine. And when anger becomes uncontrollable, it becomes rough. So the third way by which we can give the devil place is wrath. The fourth way is stealing. Don't steal. The fifth way is corrupt word. You know, and uh, when you read Galatians chapter 5, it, it en en enumerates the works of the flesh. One of them is lasciviousness. And lasciviousness is an old English word for ill-tempered. When you are ill-tempered, it shows by how careless you speak. Corrupt word, filthiness, blasphemy, all that. It gives place to the devil. Number six, bitterness. Number seven, clamor. Clamor means that you are always angry, always want to cause strife, always very contentious. And, and people who are normally like that, most of them are filled with evil spirits. 
because that's what the devil does. Wherever, wherever they are, there always has to be contention. Always. There has to be contention. There has to be some uneasiness. And when you are not there, everybody is happy. Why? The Bible says that cast out the corner and contention shall cease. There are people who are like that. They are clamorous. They don't like peace. When they are at work, they disturb the peace. When they are at church, they disturb the peace. When they are among family members, they disturb the peace. When they are among their friends, they disturb the peace. When they are in their community, they disturb the peace. Clamor. And people who are like that, they are bedfellows with the devil. Because that is what the devil does. And people who are normally clamorous are, are accusers. They will always accuse. It's never their fault. Never. It can never be their fault. They've never pointed their finger at themselves. That's one form of clamor. Evil speaking. Evil speaking. Evil speaking opens a place for, to the devil and then malice. That's to harm with intent. Extreme wickedness. Some people are very malicious. You see some people who say they are believers, but they have an intent to harm you. And sometimes their intent to harm you is not to take a gun, but they, they, their intent is to harm you in praying against you with scriptures. One day I was talking to a charismatic. He was telling me about some things and he prays. He just took a stone, put oil on it, and he threw it to the neighbor. I said, no, this is fetishism. Can't, you can't tell me this is... I, I just shut him up straight. Don't even open the Bible and justify this nonsense. I, I had to be very loud. And then he kept quiet. No, 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 no. It's fetishism. I, and I told him, it's malice. It's with an intent to harm. That's malice. And when you are malicious, you give place to the devil. So please, let's watch out for these nine activities. Because Apostle Paul implores us to put on the new man, which was created in holiness and in righteousness. Amen. And mind you, these things, it also grieves the Holy Spirit. Not that it just gives place to the devil, but these things are just messy. It also grieves the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 2. Verse 32, I'm sorry, the last verse. This is what shows that we are new. We are the new man. I didn't like tense. Because not new men, the new man. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So the evidence of a new man is being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another. You can only forgive from a place and a point of forgiveness. Forgiving people, forgive. So when you see people who are always working in constant unforgiveness, it is because they probably don't understand the magnitude and the brevity of God's love towards them. Because the day you come to a revelation of that, you will forgive. You will forgive. Amen. So I know today is a very meaty word, not easily digestible. But do your best this evening to chew what I am saying and swallow it so that you can grow.
in your Christian faith. Amen. I'm looking at my time and I realize that I'm out of time. So I'll just stop here. Amen. Who has any question, any contribution? I'll just allow one and then we'll pray. It's a minute past eight. God bless you. So do we understand when Jesus said that so will my heavenly father do? God is not going to hand you over to the torturous. It's your unforgiveness, but God will choose to cooperate. It's your unforgiveness. That's why Apostle Paul is telling us that there are certain activities that we can do that will give place to the devil. That's why it was very important for us to establish the truth that God is not merciless. God is not stingy with forgiveness. God doesn't hold grudges. He's merciful. But when we continue to walk perpetually in unforgiveness, our unforgiveness leads us into the hands of the devil. And God will refuse to cooperate with that. Because he's just, he's merciful, and he's true to his word. So please, if you have any unresolved issue, unresolved offense, let it go. If there's any chance to reconcile, reconcile. And reconciliation is not by force. Just make sure that on your part, you are ready. If the person is not ready, Forgive the person. Reconciliation happens because of two parties. But forgiveness, it can be one-sided. Amen. So make sure that you are forgiven at all times so that you will not come to a place of frustration in your prayer life. Amen. All right. It looks like we don't have anything to say. So I want to believe we are all thinking deeply about this. So I'll end it here then. Amen. If we don't have anything, let's pray. Lord, may we be kind to one another. May we be tender-hearted. May we forgive one another. Because you have forgiven us in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. God bless you guys.